0: Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message. Or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us. And may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. There we go. I hope it doesn't feel like that uh, when you come to church on a Sunday morning. Um, when we when we showed that bump in the first service, a couple got up and left, and I was like, oh. But they were just going to get their kid. Anyway, but... Um, but I get it, we're in this series called Bank on God, and we're talking about money, and we kind of unapologetically about that. But I understand that that maybe immediately causes some kind of reactions in the room. Oh, here we go again, and we're just confirming all your suspicions. But really, we do a series like this once a year, and I'll explain kind of the heart behind it. But I want to start with this quote from the Dalai Lama. He was once asked, What confuses you about Western society? And I love his response. He says, man, confuses me, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he's so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die and then dies having never really lived. I mean, it's so powerful, isn't it? To kind of ponder that, he goes on in that interview to say that we have wider freeways now, but narrower viewpoints. Taller buildings, but shorter tempers. Will Smith, I love what he says. He says, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. I mean, isn't that true? And this is kind of the paradox of our time that, you know, we have this crazy gap between rich and poor and it's just increasing. I mean, Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, has, has been, they found his net worth to be $153 billion. And yet we also know that one in four CEOs, this is a statistical fact, one in four CEOs claim to be struggling with depression. And so there's this kind of, this paradox, and so we're in this series, like I said, called Bank on God, and I love that idea, because we're all banking on something. We're all trusting in something, and so how, how, do, we, how do we do this? How do we handle our money? And, and like I said last week, this series, why we talk about it, it's not because we want something from you, but it's because we want something for you. And I, and I mean, thank you. <laughs> yes, one person's with me. Um, and that's why Jesus spoke so extensively about money, not because he wanted it or because he needed it. He spoke about money extensively, more than the kingdom of heaven, because he wanted something else. He wasn't after our money, he was after our hearts. But Jesus knew that our hearts follow our treasure. He says, where your treasure is, so your heart will also be. And so that's why he addresses this thing, because he wants our hearts, and like I said last week, and if you weren't here, uh, you know we spoke about uh, about the tithe, and if that kind of jars with you today, you know, don't get too freaked out about it. I really encourage you to go back, watch that talk. You'll understand our heart and our belief that it's a biblical. We spoke, we said that the tithe was biblical, that the tithe was a blessing, and that the tithe was um, a test. Thank you, Paul. Someone was listening. I was testing you, um, but we said that we said that that money is a big deal. That, the, that, that money, or the lack thereof, has the capacity to wreck lives, to ruin marriages, to shape priorities, to influence relationships and decisions, and our future to help make a difference, to in, you know, uh, change other people's lives, to change the world, and to destroy us. Money is a big deal, and how we handle it is important to God. So last week we looked at this idea of tithing, next week we'll look at this idea of generosity, but today I want to kind of hit the topic of stewardship. And stewardship is is maybe a word that we don't often use these days, maybe we do, but uh, it's certainly maybe become a Christian word, but stewardship literally means this, the definition says it's the job of supervising or taking care of something. It's usually in the context of something that someone else belongs to someone else, and so someone gives you something, they lend you your car, and you look after their car, that means you're being a good steward, And so under this idea of stewardship, believing that everything we have comes from God, how we care for that, the question I want to kind of ask today, or or wrestle with today, and this is a question I think we all ask at some stage in our lives, is can we tithe, as we spoke of last week, can we be generous, as we will speak next week, and as the Bible calls us to be generous, as Christ has been generous to us, can we do those things, and let's be honest, still pay the bills? I mean, is that even... A reality, is that even possible? Because I think for most of us, if we're honest, we're just trying to keep our head above the water. I mean, we just, you know, maybe it's just your lips are above the water, and you just kind of, maybe you're underwater. You know, I don't know. But because that's the reality. I mean, I was praying for people after the service. It's tough out there, guys. And you, And know, I don't have to tell you, you know that. People are really struggling. Their backs are against the wall. Rising costs, diminishing disposable income, and, and unfortunately, watching the State of the Nation address does not instill confidence or hope. And so I think sometimes we find ourselves hopeless. So I want to kind of get real, uh, real about this thing. Can, can you know? Because now we say, oh, now you want me to tithe and you want me to be generous. I mean, let's get real. How is that even possible? Well, in order to answer that question, can you be generous? Can you bring the tithe and still pay the bills? The answer is yes. And the answer is no. And let me explain what I mean by that. And I want to do that, I want to look at Matthew chapter 6. And this is a big chunk of Scripture. It's, a, it's an important part of Jesus' teaching found in Matthew chapter 6. And he's teaching about all kinds of things. And he, sp- he spends quite a bit of time speaking around money and possessions and how we, as children of God, are to handle these things. And this is what he has to say. And maybe this is speaking to some of us this morning. He says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. If he was in KZN when he said this, he would have said moths and monkeys. um, He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. There's the line we looked at last week. And then he goes on to say this, and these are kind of quite hard hitting words. He says, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And just in case you don't know what I'm talking about, he says, You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry. Say, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow, oh, you don't have to say the rest, just don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I mean, how many of you know that's true? <laughs> Today's trouble is enough for today. And there's so much that we could speak on here around Jesus' words. I mean, people have been talking about these words. They are profound for thousands of years. We could talk about worry, and, and, and this, this you know how many of us live in that rea- reality. We're warriors, not warriors like like, we're warriors. <laughs> I, I heard there was a famous person who said I can't remember who quoted it, but he said on his deathbed they said, "What's your regret?" And he says, "My greatest regret is I wish I hadn't worried so much because most of the things I worried about never actually happened." <laughs> Someone said that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do. It just doesn't take you anywhere. And yet so many of us, we live in this reality. We worry and we're anxious. And Jesus says, hey, man, I've come to set you free from that stuff. I don't want you to be worried and anxious about your finances or about your future. He says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. And then he says these incredible words, and for me this is the key, the key to escaping this paradox of our time. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he, God, will give you everything you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. The Bible speaks of a principle. And if you're taking notes, write this down. It's a principle found throughout Scripture. It's called the principle of the first. The principle of the first. And I want to kind of make this statement, and I've made this statement before. If this sounds familiar to you, it's because it is. Because last time I checked, what the Scriptures have to say about our resources and our money hasn't changed. And sometimes I think we need to be reminded, but here's the statement. If God is first in your life, then everything will come into order. Not everything will be easy. Not everything will go swimmingly. Not, everything, not, not you won't have trials and troubles. In fact, Jesus promises us as Christ followers, in this life you will have trouble. If you want to have an easy life, please don't become a Christian. <laughs> if you want to have a significant life, a life of meaning and purpose and legacy, then Follow Jesus, but it's, he never promised us an easy life. But here's the question. Would you rather go through troubles with things in order or with things out of order? That's the choice. If God is first in your life, then everything will come into order. Most of our problems are not about a lack of provision, but about a lack of priority. And that's been so true in my own life. When my priorities have begun to shift... Things fall out of order. So to answer the question, can I tithe? Can I be generous and still pay the bills? If God is first in your life, yes, absolutely. Conversely, if God is not first in your life, no. I just don't think it's possible. There's something mysterious about this. I don't think it's possible. It's a principle. And I didn't make it up. God says it, and He says it because He wants the best for us. He wants us to live free and unburdened in every area of our lives, including the area, and maybe mostly in the area of our finances. Perhaps our problems are not a lack of provision, but rather a lack of priority. So how do we do this? Again, I'm no financial guru. There are people in this room who could, 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 you know, could do a much better job of explaining you know, how we, we do this well. But, but Dave Ramsey, he's, a, he's the guy who runs the course, Financial Peace University, successful business guy. Uh, he has a statement, if you've done the course, and he starts off by saying, we've got to learn how to live like no one else now so that we can live like no one else later. Live like no one else now. And I find it interesting, some of the the, the wealthiest people I know are some of the, the kind of shrewdest people I know in terms of how they live their lives, because they've built a habit and a pattern, and they've learned to cut costs, they've learned to, so it means live like no one else now, cut the costs, get rid of the car, just drive on, ride a bicycle, you know, chuck the DSTV, whatever, so that you can live like no one else later with freedom and margin and peace and capacity to have an impact on those beyond you. Are you with me? Now, this, is, this may seem obvious, but it's incredibly countercultural because our world says, have it now. Buy it now. Get it now. You know, you want, you want something? Order it online. Pay it on credit. You, you want to watch, I mean, even in, in terms of entertaining, you want to watch a TV series? Remember when you had to wait every Wednesday for Friends or whatever, whenever it was, okay? Hey, man, you want to watch a series now? Just binge watch it. Netflix, on demand. And so this requires, I think, some rewiring in our brains because we've been conditioned. And so I want to kind of leave you with four points today on how we, as individuals, as a church, can live like no one else so that we can live like no one else, unhindered by financial stress and strain, free to bring God what is already His, and free to live generously and open-handed. Are you with me? Here's four points. The first is this. Uh, and again, we've said these things before. This, this is kind of common sense, but it's so practical. Spy on your money. In other words, get a budget, have a budget. I mean, I mean, you have got to know where and, and keep your slips. Uh, get a program. You know, you can get all these digital programs. What, whatever it is, I mean, my dad when I was at uh, university, um, my dad gave me a credit card for emergency use. And I would have to uh, give him a slip. Every time I spent anything, I had to get a slip. And then I'd staple the slips to the end of the month. And I'd send them back. My dad is pedantic. There was like three cents missing. He'd followed up. What's going on? He's a CA. I mean, it was like... Um, I did manage, though, in my first year to convince him that the bookstore at UCT was called Barney's. But Barney's was actually the local pub. Um, so I'd have to get the rounds just right to be like the, roughly the price of a textbook. Anyway, but that didn't last too long. But But... Keep your slips. Get a system. I and mean, we use 22.7, which is an online banking system. It's, it links to all the South African banks. You can, um, it, it automatically categorizes your spend. It knows pick and pays groceries. It knows shells petrol. And the point is this. You, one thing you can never say about money is, I just don't know where it goes every month. Okay? Because it's one of the few things that you can actually control and track. Andy Stanley, I mean, he's a Southern preacher. He says this: You got to be knowing where your money is going. You got to be knowing where your money is going. I mean, you simply have to budget to track your money because you cannot change or improve that which you do not measure. You got to you got to tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And some of us we just left wondering where it went when we started doing a number of many years ago when we started tracking everything on the, on the sort of online system we realized we were spending money on things we couldn't believe we were spending so much money on things like bank charges bless you if you work at the banks but i mean it's it's, it's criminal i mean and, and you start to you start to did, uh, did i just say that just cut that from the online proudly brought to you by absa or whatever you know. um <laughs> And, 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 and you start to realize where it's going, and, and, and if you're in debt, it gives you a plan to say, hey, I'm going to work myself, myself out of debt. Um, Financial Peace University talks about snowballing your debt. If you're in debt, choose your smallest debt. Pay that off as quick as you can. Get, get ruthless about it. We'll talk more about that. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. And let me tell you, that has not changed in thousands of years. The borrower is still a slave to the lender. And when we talk about the principle of the first, the sad part about it is that for many of us, the first is Visa, right? But the problem with Visa is they don't have the power to bless your finances, and they don't have your best interest at heart, despite what their ads would tell you. But God does. God does. God does. And if you need help, let me just say that. If you're here and you have no idea what that next step looks like or how to even begin to do that, we have people who can help you. Sign up for our Financial Peace University course. We run it all the time. It runs in groups. And there's people who can help you to figure out how to do this well and give you the tools in order to do that. But you've got to spy on your money. You've got to know where it's going. And that may mean some some short-term cutbacks. But as Mads, our, who used to run our counseling department, she would always say, it's the choice. You can have short-term cutbacks. Pain for long-term gain, or you can choose to have short-term gain and find yourself in long-term pain. That's a choice all of us have to make. And so, spy on your money. Know where it's going. The second idea is follow the formula. And again, you may need to watch last week to kind of get the context of this, but but we speak about this idea of the tithe. And so, the formula for us is this, 10, 10, 80. 10 belongs to God. We don't Give it generously, we bring what is already his, it belongs to him. Ten we pay to ourselves, and then we live off the rest. Can you imagine if our world lived like this? How different we would find ourselves. And so I use this example. I got I got ten ten ran notes here. Ten ten rand notes. I stole them from Huey before the service from the brew bar. Um so so the principle is this ten we bring to God. Which ten? The first ten, okay. The second 10, I want to just do this. Okay, I've always wanted to do that. So make a great photo for Instagram. Grace Family Church, here we go again. Um, first 10 belongs to God. Second 10, we give to ourselves. This is fun. We pay, we pay ourselves. And then we live off the rest. Here's the problem. Most of us, we've, by the time we get the 100 in, we've already spent 120. Right? And so then the, the, the pastor says, hey, you know, tithe belongs to God. You think, well, that's crazy because we're already living far beyond our means. And for those who are, you know, I often say, well, why are you so blown away, so offended, so blown away by the, 10, the 10% that belongs to God instead of being blown away by the 90% you wouldn't have without God? So follow the formula. Follow the formula. If you, if you wait till you have left over, I can promise you, you will not have left over that's like saying i'm gonna i'm gonna exercise if i have some time left over and i said oh really you're not because that's just how it works it's a principle it's a principle of the first and i get it around church and i get the tithing people are hesitant and i'm not here to try and twist your arm in any way as i said last week i don't work on commission here i mean but but (laughs) that was a shock for people wow um and we've heard the horror stories I mean, I, I heard the story about a, a man and who attended church with his young son, his 10-year-old son, and he came to church, and he sat there a bit grumpy like this at the back, and then after the service, he left, and he was complaining in the car to his son, you know, oh, the service was too long, and the preacher this, and they you know, made me sit here, and then the coffee was terrible, and oh, change, 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 oh, complain, complain, complain. And the son, who was quite perceptive, he kind of watched this whole thing, he said to his dad, hey, you know what, Dad, you got to admit, it was a pretty good show for just 10 rand because he'd watched his dad, you know. And that's so often how we kind of, you know, oh, we'll see if there's some left over, we'll, we'll give it. And that's not what the, the Scriptures speak of. Hebrews 7 says this, In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. In, in, a, in, a, in a very real sense, in a, in a practical, natural way, it's received by men, by the, by the institution. But in other case, in, in other words, in the supernatural, in the spiritual, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. He's speaking of Jesus. When we give to the church, we're not giving to the institution. We're giving to the kingdom of God. The church is a means to an end. If we make the church the end, we, th- th- of course we're going to get into trouble. And all of this stuff, I mean, the lights and the thing, and the, the, it's great. It's wonderful. It allows us to gather in the space and be an con and it's, it's wonderful. It takes resources. But the reality is we are, as a church, a means to an end beyond ourselves. And the, means, the, the end is the kingdom of God. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's why we say love God, love people, make yourself comfortable and sing Kumbaya. No, love God, love people, make a difference. That's why we exist. And the reality is it takes resources to make a difference. And so we join together. And we, 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 we pool our time, our talent, and our resources. You know, the, the, the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. It doesn't take faith to give God what's left. It takes faith to put God first. It takes faith to believe that 90% redeemed and blessed by God can do, go further and do better than 100% in your own hands. So follow the formula. Bring the tithe. Pay yourself. Live off the rest. Bring the tithe, pay yourself, live off the rest. Simple. Simple. Not easy, but simple. Spy on your money, follow the formula. The third thing that we can do, if we want to live like no one else now, so we can live like no one else later, is we can act our wage. Turn to someone and say, act your wage. (laughs) But say it like quite sharp, act your wage. I mean, they've done studies now where they show that, that newlywed couples in our generation, newlywed couples, are living at the same standard of living that their parents took 35 years to get to. I mean, think about that. I mean, we, I've fallen prey to that. I mean, I, you know, we, when we first got our first home, I remember walking in and I was like, hey, man, I want a, I want a dishwasher. And I want to, my parents had got one. The problem is it took my, my parents never had a dishwasher for the first 25 years they were married. And they did fine. I don't know how, I mean, it's how. Because a dishwasher is a bad example, because the dishwasher literally saved our marriage. But but, <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying though? I mean, we, we want, we, we see there and we think, oh, well, we want that, and we want it now, when we don't re- we forget that it took our parents or the generation before us years to get there. We've got to act our wage. Come down. <laughs> Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil. Olive oil was a symbol of wealth. But fools gulp theirs down. How often do we find ourselves in in situations? Because if we're honest, we've gulped it down. We've gulped it down. Uh, I love this in Proverbs. It also says, My son, if you have put up, he's talking about debt here. If you've put up security for your neighbor, if you've shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you've said. You find yourself in debt, ensnared by the words of your mouth, and this is the advice from the scriptures. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. I've, I've used this example many times before. Maybe you've, you've seen me say that. I mean, have you ever seen a gazelle? Have you ever seen a springbok in those wildlife programs? And you know, bro, the oak's—he's mince meat. I mean, you know, his, his, his end is coming, because you've got David Attenborough's voice in the background. You know, you know, the lioness quietly cre- creeps in the tall grass. You know, the springbok is unaware. Whatever. And then the next thing, the music comes in, and this thing's off, bro. Like the the, the gazelle's just—you know—and you watching, like, go, go, you can make it. You know. That's the, that's the language of the scriptures. It's like get do whatever you can to, to the point of exhaustion to free yourself from debt. And it's so countercultural. And this, I am mean, telling you, this, this, and this may require some sacrifice. Move house, sell the car, you know, don't eat out, stop shopping at Woolies. <sighs> so hard. So hard. I mean, that aisle at the end is just like, woo. <laughs> They put the chuckles right at the end. That's like the, the, the death trap. 900 Rand for 12 chuckles. <laughs> and we've had, I mean, we've had couples, you know this, we've had couples who've sold their home so they could start tithing. And when you ask them, hey, do you have any regrets? No regrets. Because we realized that we were actually living beyond our means. Live like no one else so you can live like no one else. Spy on your money. Follow the formula. Act your wage. We've got this three-month tithing challenge, It's the little credit cards on your, on your chair, and, and I get it. Maybe that's like a shock. Oh, you know, and that's fine. You know what? Again, we're not here to twist your arm. What we are saying is, hey, test God on this. Listen to my message from last week. It's the one place in Scripture where God says, test me on this and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven. So, we're challenging every single person who calls Grace Family Church home. Test God on this for three months. And there's something, like I said, there's something spiritual about this. It's more than rands and cents. It doesn't make sense, but it makes all the sense in the world. There's something deeply powerful about this. And if you say, well, you know, I can't afford it, let me say, you'll never be able to afford it until you start. You'll never be able to. But I promise you this you, can, you, you will never come off second best when you put God first. Corrie ten Boom says this, I've held many things in my hands and have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Heavens, The heavens have what you need, and if you release what you have, you'll receive all that you need. There's nothing, there's no limit on what God can do in your life. There is a lid, and only we can take the lid off. God stands outside and knocks, but we have to open the door. Some say that that this is foolish, and I say, so be it. You know, I'm not trying to persuade you. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I love what the missionary Jim Elliott says. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And yet this whole thing requires shifting and reprioritizing and sacrifice. But the joy and the peace and the contentment and the margin that it brings is absolutely astounding. That's what I've experienced in my own life. So the fourth fourth and final way. In fact, this is not really an application point so much as it's a result of doing steps one to three. If we spy on our money, if we follow the formula, if we act our wage eventually what happens is we begin to leave a legacy. We begin to leave a legacy. And some of you are living in that space even now. Many of us are recipients of legacies that others have made for us. Exodus 13 says this, and I love this. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. This is a picture of the tithe it's, a, it's an Old Testament picture of the principle of the first. And God says, it belongs to me. And then in verse 14, and this is where it gets real personal for me. He says, in, in God's speaking, he says, In the future, your children will ask you, what does this all mean? And then you must tell them, you will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of slavery. God is saying that at some point in your life, if you're lucky, your children are going to come to you and say, hey, dad, Hey, mom. Guess why are, you, why are you sacrificing these bulls? Why? Don't, don't you realize we're, we're cattle farmers? This is our very source of income. And last month, you sacrificed, you know, seven bulls. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. You're cutting into our profit margins. And then the instruction from the Lord is, I'm, then tell your children, hey, you know what? We haven't always been. You may not know this. This happened before you were born. We haven't always been cattle farmers. Before we came to this land, we were slaves back in Egypt. And God, by the power of his mighty hand, rescued us and brought us out of slavery and placed us in this land, in this promised land that you see right now. And so that is why we give. That is why we give. And I pray that that's, this same conversation would one day happen to Jess and I. That my little boys, Will and Luke, will one day come to, to me and say, Hey, Dad, why do, you, why do you give? Why do you give so generously? Why do you tie to the church? I mean, don't you work at the church. Isn't that sacrifice enough? I mean, you, you do so much. Why do you do this? And then hopefully I'll have the presence of mind to say, Hey, listen, my boy, come here. Let me tell you something. You may not know this, but before Daddy met Mommy, I wasn't a very good guy. And I did some stuff. And I was incredibly selfish. And I hurt a lot of people in the way. But God rescued me by the hand of His grace and pulled me out of that place and put me on a hill. And He has blessed us. In fact, I know your mom and I wouldn't still be together if it wasn't for the grace of God in our lives. And I certainly wouldn't be able to stand here today. Freely I have received. Freely I have received. And so my boy, freely I give. Not out of obligation, but because of what God has done for me and for us. And when we do that, I'm telling you, we model something. When we spy on our money, when we act our age, when we follow the formula, we leave a legacy for our children's children. This has generational impact. And if you don't have kids, I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about the next generation. For many of us, we sit under the, 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 the blessings of the generation before us. That's why we can sit in this building today. It's around leaving a legacy. Just, just as we wrap things up, I want to kind of end by taking a little bit of a, of a detour, and then hopefully it will make sense. But I want to tell you two stories, two true stories. And I shared these stories at team out, and I'd love to just share them with you. They had a profound impact on my life. But these, let, me, let me tell you the first story, story number one. And I'm going to read to you the story. But many years ago, Al Capone, you may have heard of him. Al Capone, the famous gangster, he virtually owned Chicago. Um, Some people asked us this morning, is that goth? Um, (laughs) 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 So Capone was not famous for anything heroic. He was a notorious gangster, and he enmeshed the Windy City in everything from bootleg booze and prostitution, murder... Um, and Capone had, what's unbeknownst to many is that Capone had a lawyer um, by the name, he was nicknamed Easy Eddie. And uh, Easy Eddie was Capone's lawyer for good reason. He, he was very good, in fact. And his skills uh, kept uh, Big L out of jail for a very long time. And so to show his appreciation, Capone paid Easy Eddie very well. Um, not only was the money big, but Eddie got all these kinds of special dividends, and, uh, I mean, for instance, he, he and his family occupied a fenced-in mansion with live-in help and all the conveniences of the day that was so large that it had filled an entire Chicago city block, his home. Uh, Eddie lived the high life in the Chicago mob for years and gave very little consideration to the atrocity that went on around him and that he was actually part of. Um, but Eddie did have one soft spot. He had a son that he loved dearly, and he saw to it that his son had everything that his heart desired, nothing was withheld. Um, but despite his involvement in organized crime, even, uh, Eddie even tried to kind of teach his boy right from wrong. Uh, he wanted his son to be a better man than he was. Um, but despite all of that, despite his wealth and his influence, there were two things he could never give his son, and that was a good reputation and a good example. And then that must have eaten away at him because one day he, he had a change of heart and he decided to do the right thing. He decided to testify against Al Capone and the mob, even though he knew it would, it would be a great risk to his own life. And so he did that. He testified against the mob. Um, and, but within a year, uh, Easy Eddie's life ended in a blaze of gunfire on a lonely Chicago street. He was shot to death in his car. And as he lay there dead, they, uh, uh, um, he, um, the police removed from his pockets a, a rosary and a crucifix And a clipping from a magazine that read this. The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop, at late or early hour. Now is the only time you own. Live, love, toil with the will. Place no faith in time, for the clock may soon be still. Story number one. Story number two, true story. World War II produced many heroes. One such man was Lieutenant Commander Butch O'Hare. He was a fighter pilot assigned to the aircraft carrier Lexington in the South Pacific. And one day his entire squadron was sent on a mission. And uh, after he was airborne, he looked at his fuel gauge and realized that someone had forgotten to top off his fuel tank. And so he would not have enough fuel to complete the mission and get back to the ship. So the flight leader told him to return to the carrier. And reluctantly, he dropped out of the formation and headed back to the naval fleet. As he was returning to the mothership, he saw something that turned his blood cold. A squadron of Japanese aircraft was speeding its way towards the American naval fleet. The American fighters were gone on a sortie, and the fleet was all but defenseless. He couldn't reach his squadron and bring them back in time to save the fleet, nor could he warn the fleet of the approaching danger. There was only one thing he could do. He must somehow divert the Japanese fleet. aircraft from the fleet laying aside all thoughts of personal safety he dove into the formation of Japanese planes I think that's the plane he used wing mounted 50 calibers blazed as he charged in attacking one surprised enemy Japanese plane and then another butch wove in and out of the now broken formation and fired at as many planes as possible until all his ammunition was finally spent Undaunted, undaunted, he continued the assault. He drove at the planes, trying to clip a wing or two or a tail in hopes of damaging as many enemy planes as possible, rending them unfit to fly, of course, at great risk to his own life and plane. Finally, the exacerbated Japanese squadron took off in another direction. Deeply relieved, Butch O'Hare and his tattered fighter limped back to the carrier, and upon arrival, he reported in and related the events surrounding his return. The film from the gun camera mounted on his plane told the whole tale, It showed the extent of Butch's daring attempt to protect his fleet, and he had in fact destroyed at least five enemy aircraft. This took place on February 20th, 1942, and for that action, Butch became the Navy's first ace of World War II and the first naval aviator to win the Medal of Honor. That's him shaking, I think it's President Roosevelt's hand. Um, A year later, sadly, Butch was killed in aerial combat at the age of 29, his hometown would not allow the memory of this World War II hero to fade. And today, O'Hare International Airport in Chicago is named in tribute to the courage of this great man." So next time, or if you ever find yourself at O'Hare International in Chicago, give some thought to visiting Butcher's memorial displaying his statue and his Medal of Honor. It's located between Terminals 1 and 2. So what do these two stories have in common? What do these stories have to do with each other? You see, Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. I'm going to ask you to stand. He was a man, Easy Eddie, who thought he'd got it all wrong. And yet by standing for truth, for doing the right thing, he left a legacy that he didn't even know about. He never saw his son become a World War II hero, but that he would, Butch would say that that act from his father changed his life. What we do matters, guys. What you say and how you live and what you stand for, it matters. And that is no more true than when it comes to how we handle our money. Proverbs 13 again, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. If we get this right, if we can spy on our money, if we can act our wage, if we can follow the formula, not only are we changed, not only is our church and our community changed, not only is our world changed, but we change the lives of our children's children, of the next generation and beyond forever. We leave a legacy. Let's get this right. Let's get this right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you first and foremost for what you have done for us, for your generosity, for God so loved the world that he gave. And you gave us everything. You went bankrupt for us on the cross. So we thank you for that. Freely we have received and so freely we give. Lord, help us not to hold on to these earthly things too tightly, but to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can never destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. We need your help. Lord, I pray for those in the room who right now feel like thieves are are, are destroying, where it feels like you're up against the wall. I, I pray for every situation. I don't know it, but you do, Lord. I pray for breakthrough. I pray for provision. I pray for opportunities. I pray for employment. And we speak that truth that you are a way maker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. And we declare it in this place. Help us to trust you when we see it and when we don't. When we feel it and when we don't. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to do this. So fill us afresh, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for hearing me out. We'll see you next week. Have a great one.